It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy weekend, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Mance and Mitchell on the air in your ears. Glad to be there, which seems strange, but nevertheless. And not so strange once again, and happily so, because Nathan Miller gets a well-deserved day off. We have David Brown with us. David Brown and his flying hands of renown at the board. How are you, David? Fantastic. Well, we're glad to have you with us, keeping us on an even keel. Suzanne, how's everything going for you this morning? We passed each other in the hall before breakfast, and I really haven't been able to check in with you. I know. It's been a busy day. (laughs) I'm doing well, too, and we are very happy to have a returning guest with us. I didn't see how many times, how many visits this is. I forgot to do that this morning, but she is a returning guest for us and, uh, and a friend of ours and a friend of the show. We should say a word. You it is balloon. I mean, people who remember F Troop remember it is that balloon classic is from F Troop. Yes, <laughs> it is balloon. And we say goodbye to the remaining cast member. He was the last. Larry Storch died at ninety nine. Wow. And uh, he was a magnificent comedian before he was well known, especially on the comedy circuit for years before F Troop. He did in people of who are not baby boomers may not realize this. Maybe when you were a kid, you watched F Troop reruns. He was a magnificent impressionist. Larry Storch did great impressions, but that's not where he made most of his money. And it's not where he made his fame. Mm. He did that as Corporal Agarn. Right. So that's, um, that's a life well lived 99 years. Wow. We say goodbye fondly too. I used to just love F True. When I, I was too. when it was in production, man. I was there watching it, the black and white year and the color year, because hmm. it was both. All right, that was great. We just wanted to do that in memoriam, James Con as well. Oh my God, it's uh, what a great acting career he had as well. Saying goodbye to these people, you know, it reminds me. And we're going to talk to Reverend Bonnie Barnard, so we get to say hello instead of goodbye. Fortunately. It's our blessing to do so. And when we bring her on in a moment, you know, I just wanted to ask her a little bit about, you know, these departures and the welcomes and life going on, the continuity of life. That's so important when you take the metaphysical view of things. And she certainly does at a very high order. Mad props, please. Reverend Bonnie Barnard received her Bachelor of Arts degree in religious studies and her doctorate of divinity before her religious ordination in the Church of Religious Science. She is the author of Forgive Your Way to Freedom, The Good Life, Daily Lessons for the Mystic in Training, Affirmative Prayer, Qualities of God, Qualities of Being, Metaphysical Lent, and 30 Days of Joy. Her website is her name, bonniebarnard.com. We'll be sure to give that out during the break at the bottom of the hour. And right now, we are just happy once again to say hello to Reverend Bonnie. How are you doing today? Hello, friends. I'm doing, I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking. Were you one of those ministers, Bonnie, dear friend of mine for so many years, and I've never checked in with you about this because we don't find ourselves in the same ecclesiastical place very often we used to there how do you feel i mean do you like this idea of what reverend bonnie's going to talk about then when reverend bonnie's done we'll do other stuff and then back to reverend bonnie 
there? Or do you are you one of those ministers that takes a more hip, casual approach? Just call me Bonnie. Which works <laughs> better for you? You can call me either is just fine. There was a period of time when I wanted to be called Reverend Bonnie because I was new enough that I was trying on the um consciousness and the um kind of identity of being a reverend and now that i have been one for 24 years like i i'm okay being called anything almost gary (laughs) (laughs) i saw the look in his eyes we're actually on zoom and i could see his eyes and i was like i better clarify that well, I would just simply add that it's a matter of commitment, and you may you would uh, be more intimately aware of this than myself, Bonnie. In the United Church of Religious Science, now it's United Centers for Spiritual Living, founded originally by Ernest Holmes, who wrote The Science of Mind and a bunch of other books. When you're there in that in that atmosphere, you would think, okay, you go through the program, it's pretty intensive. And when you finished, okay, you're ordained, and then you're a minister. But no, and I find this uncommon with the, I still use the old term, so forgive me, uh, when it comes to religious science ministers, as I like to call them, yeah. what happens is you get to think about that for a little while before ordination, there's a step approach. Yeah to being a minister in the movement. How did that sit with you after all your years of hard study? Well, I wasn't ordained as a United Church of Religious Science person. I was ordained by um, Vicki Derrick Ministries. So I completed the religious science ministry training minus four courses because the Seattle church decided to close their minister doors. So I was just moments away from getting my ministerial license. And so um, Reverend Vicki Derrick ordained me. um, And I don't know if you remember her or not. She was over on Bainbridge Island in the church over there. She she was a unity unity minister. Oh, I have not had the pleasure. Yeah. So my colleagues who have gone through the UCRS process is they become a minister in a pulpit for two years. And then that's kind of like a um, apprenticeship, I would say. And then once that apprenticeship is complete, then they actually become ordained. And so that's, it is a, uh, an interesting thing because someone has been in the pulpit for two years and then all of a sudden there's a party and a big ritual and then they go through an ordination. So, you know, it, it does seem backwards, Bonnie. But, you know, looked at from another point of view, it really lets you uh, ground yourself in the training and the teaching to make that final decision to to decide one more time. Yes, this is for me. Absolutely. After you've been doing it, because sometimes I think we'll jump into something once we're inside almost any kind of organization we pull back the curtain, we see what the politics is, we see the underbelly of it. The Wizard of Oz is just a man with a, you know, a bunch of uh, levers. And so at that point, I think it's possible no matter what your organization is, that you get a little bit discouraged and say, gee, this isn't the high ideals I thought it was. And in this case, you get yet another opportunity to affirm your desire to be with the organization. And and for that reason, it kind of does make sense. 
It does. And um, I, before you become a minister through the United Church of Religious Science, or what did you call it, Gary? United Centers for Spiritual Living? Exactly. That before you become a minister, you spend four years of training to become a practitioner. And that was my favorite part of ministry, because that is for four years learning how to use affirmative prayer. And one of the books I wrote was on affirmative prayer because I believe it is completely life-changing, but it's learning how to use affirmative prayer in a way that you experience the inner God awakening, the inner presence awakening, and then you're licensed to be able to use it with other people who are going through life circumstances and get, get caught up in them and forget who they really are. And so I was a re, I was a practitioner for years, and I still do the work. Although since I'm not in religious science, I call it spiritual direction or spiritual advising. But um, I was one of the very very few ever to have a full time practice doing that. I don't know if you remember, but by Green Lake in Seattle, I had a practice and saw people all day long. And I had referrals from doctors who had really weird stuff. I had referrals from business people. I I literally spent 40 hours a week, my full-time job praying with people and doing the work of recognizing spirit um, within another. And that was so incredibly satisfying. You know, from my own experience in uh, religious science, Bonnie, the one of the things that I find so absolutely fascinating is that when we are trying to um, elevate ourselves, we, we can do meditation, we can do prayer. There's a number of things that we can do with regard to self-care that will make our li- own lives better. But what completely fascinates me is when you are trained and praying for another person, it's easier to see their perfection yeah. than it is to see your own. Yeah. When when people struggle with their own lovability or worthiness or capability or talent, you can sit across from them and say, well, heck, I see that in you. That's not a problem at all. And it's a very different perspective when you're a practitioner, because you, you can get through all that, that nonsense coding and you, you see the divinity in the people that you're working with. So praying for another, to me, was always easier than praying for myself. Yeah, the affirmative prayer process is one where we go into consciousness and sit until we know and know that we know. And so the founder of um, religious science, um, Dr. Ernest Holmes, he, in some of his biographies, um, literally spent days in prayer for one person. So it's not like, oh, you have an hour session and then it's done, which is kind of the way that we do it nowadays or the way that it's perceived. But you have someone in the hospital with some rare disease and nobody knows what to do. And Ernest Holmes is sitting right by their bed for days 
in prayer until he could see the perfection of that body and the shift happens. So it really is a, uh, an experience of stepping into the oneness consciousness and seeing reality behind the scenes and being able to hold it, know it, own it until it is realized in form. And that is amazing. I mean, that is spectacular. All right. Now we're in 2022, 2022. And so having this magnificent training and this understanding and this philosophy, where do you find that you are applying a lot of it today, given what is happening with people in this moment? Yeah, I'm having a really hard time. And my colleagues are too. It's, um, it's, it's not a hard time in the world of spirit, but it's a really hard time in the world of form. And well, thank so, you for saying that. Yeah. So to the, the spiritual journey from my, now I want to get outside of religious science. Um, there was, there was a period of my time that I know you guys are aware of where I spent three years in silence and solitude and prayer. And I went really deep and did some incredible work and came out with less interests in changing form and more interests in embodying light, embodying the presence itself. And so my desire goal being is different than wanting to manipulate and change and do stuff in form. That just, that to me is not as satisfying as it is to be wholly present in a moment as light and as love so that I am solid in my eternal being more than in my temporal self. That is where I'm in, where my interest lies. However, right now in our world, and especially in the United States, there's so many things that I find disturbing that I find myself getting really distracted and I find myself being pulled in a bunch of di different directions. And I find myself asking my higher self, what am I supposed to do right now? And sometimes I find myself literally walking into a room in my house with an intent, totally forgetting what I was going to do, walking to another room, doing something different. And it is not... I don't even know what to call it. Is that distraction? Is it a mental fart? I mean, what is it that's going on? I don't know, but it's not being present, you know? And so I find myself in this, stepping into a haze every once in a while. And I have a group of ministers that I've done visioning with now for eight years, every single month. And I was telling them, I said, you guys, something's not right with my mind like I'm getting distracted this is happening that's happening and every single one of them said it has nothing to do with you we're all doing the same thing and I said really and they're like oh yeah there's so much disturbance in the field and so for me what I have chosen to do is just to continue to go back to the basics it's like I have to ground myself more than I ever have grounded myself before 
Um, there are six spiritual practices that all major world religions do. I have found myself hunkering down on all six. I, during Trump's presidency, I was absolutely obsessed with the news because I just felt like I needed to know what was happening all the time and be in prayer. And now I just am so over that. And um, I pay attention, as Gary knows, that, you know, like I'm paying attention to what's going on in our country and in the world, but I'm not addressing it in that kind of obsessive way that I did before. Um, so I don't know if you want to ask anything more about that or if you just want me to keep I, talking. No, I do. Um, uh, if you can, if you would, please, uh, just really briefly what uh, are you counting among the six spiritual practices? Sure. Prayer. And in my case, I use um, affirmative prayer, but there's all kinds of prayer. It can be chanting. It can be traditional prayers that are pre-written. It can be just a conversation with your higher self. Um, so prayer and uh, meditation. Prayer, meditation, study. And um, I'd like to talk about study in a minute, but prayer, meditation, study, giving, which is humongous. So I'm practicing giving. The more afraid I am, the more I'm practicing giving. Uh, <clears throat> prayer, meditation, give, oh, com spiritual community. Gary, what's the one I'm missing? Prayer, meditation. Well, I'm talking like an old religious scientist, treatment itself, spiritual mind treatment. That would fall under prayer, prayer, prayer meditation, tithing or giving, study, spiritual community. community. Yeah. And there's you, one more. You need one more? There's one more. <laughs> That's um, a lot right there to chew on. It'll come to, it'll come yes. to me. We'll talk about study. And when the other one comes to you, you can jump in with that. How's that? Yeah. I want to okay. talk about, I want to talk about study because I kind of have a new definition for it now. So, you know, I originally, when I thought about study and what all the major world religions do, I think about the, the, the Jewish um, rabbis who all come together and they look at a word for years and kind of chant it and be with it until that word opens up. Like it's a deep, deep study of scripture. Okay. But this was the brilliant aha that I had is that um, now I study energy and how I study it doesn't require books. Right. I mean, because it, it's really studying your own life. And so I had an experience of grace years ago where my beautiful granddaughter, who I love more than almost any living thing on the planet, just adore her. She was visiting. She was two or three years old. And I lived at the time in a condo on a second floor and she fell off the balcony and she landed. Oh, my God. Wow. She landed on her head, and according to the paramedic, she should have died or at least had her spine paralyzed or whatever. She stood up and said, Grammy, Grammy, where are you, Grammy? She literally fell off my balcony onto her head, 
onto hard ground and stood up and asked where grandma was. And she was taken to the hospital and in the ambulance, they kept saying, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. Oh my God, she shouldn't be this way. She gets to the doctors. This is a miracle. Oh my gosh, there's angels everywhere. Angels must have saved her. I went to a healer to heal my trauma because I witnessed it. And the healer said, oh my gosh, did you know she had three angels who scooped her up and blah, blah, blah. And there was this whole thing. What I realized was that was the grace of God in action, that there was nothing I had to do in order for this beautiful thing to unfold. And so I went, oh my God, that was grace. So now, so what I realized then was if I want to know what grace is, I have to study grace. And so I sat down and I said, what did it feel like in my body when I knew that grace was there? And I would sit with that and I'd feel it all over my body. And I would say, okay, if I want to call grace up again, how do I do it? And I would start having a dialogue with grace and I would write about it and I would talk to it and I would say, oh my gosh, you know, and how do you pop up? And, you know, um, how are you seen? And one of my minister colleagues who I vision with had said that she had this experience where she had COVID and saw her friends who weren't vaccinated and she didn't know she had COVID and she saw her friends and exposed them and she was mortified. And she said their response to her was so loving, it changed who she was. And I said, that's grace. And I knew it because I knew what grace was. And so I said, if you want an assignment, go into that energy field and start picking it apart and be with it so that you can call it up anytime you want. The more each one of us knows how to access these different magical qualities, the better off our world is. So study to me now becomes an energetic experience, not just books. And that's exciting. I wanted to ask you a question. I don't know if study would address it, meditation would. They're being aware generally, which you certainly are to a very finely honed degree. Ernest Holmes talks in the science of mind there. He's my favorite modern philosopher. <laughs> he has such wisdom to offer in the science of mind. He talks about the personalness of God. A lot of people stay away from religion because they can't get their minds or their hearts necessarily around a personal God. A lot of people have bad relationships, relationships with parents, with other authorities. And I think there, this is my definite non-theological guess. I'm just saying that a lot of people <laughs> look at the concept of God as somehow alien, as an estrangement between themselves and the greater forces of life. But Ernest Holmes talks about the personalness of God because of this innate presence that people mm. sense, that people can feel if they give themselves the opportunity to do so. And he says, God is personal to those who feel this indwelling presence. Mm. I've always thought of that line, and he's got a ton of them, but that particular observation by Ernest Holmes struck me as particularly profound. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that today. 
I had a different experience with New Thought, which is the umbrella for Science of Mind, Unity, Divine Science, a bunch of other um, American birthed um, philosophies. And that is in their day and time, they really called um, God principle. And it was, it was non-personal. Principle is not personal. You know, it rains on the just and the unjust. Principle is God is this, God is that. And it didn't, it, and so I have my own practitioner. I always have. Um, I figured if I'm going to be one, I had to have one. Um, not to mention that I think it's fabulous. So, um, so probably in my fifth or sixth year of being a practitioner, she had said to me, it would serve you to know God personally, as well as in principle. And so Gary, I had to develop that. I mean, I had to develop within me the ability to, to experience God as a presence, as well as the mental principle that was taught. That speaks to intentionality. You have to do things yeah. intentionally when you operate at a high order or aspire to do so. Otherwise, it just seems to me that we're a lot of little individual behavioral units, over 7 billion on the planet currently, just reacting to things and to other people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Intention is huge. And we see that in politics right now. You know, we see people who've had an intention for decades and decades and decades and decades to switch the the political landscape and it's come to fruition. And so um, we can see in our life how powerful intention is. And so I think, what would it be like if those of us who know and know that we know came together intentionally? You know, that's the community part. Is that a, a, a mental process or is that an action process? Well, there's a, so, um, So metaphysics tends to be, or science of mind or unity tend to be very mental in nature. The, what the teaching tends to be because it, it came from a time frame in our human history where the mind was really cool and, and we were learning stuff about the mind. Where we are in 2022, um, Suzanne, using your, your we're, we're here now, in 2022, all of the research has shown the heart is where the magic is. The heart is where the power is. The heart is where the engine is. The heart has a bigger mind in it than our mental mind and our head does. There's more brain, there are more brain cells in our heart than there are in our brain. And so we have put so much emphasis in the training on the mind. And so, yes, coming up with a plan, um, you know, knowing what you want, having a dream, the, the vision comes first, right? And then the fulfillment of the vision comes next. And so what those, with, those of us with open hearts could do in our country and in our world is just, I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about it. We just haven't coalesced that energy in any way. I think this would be a good time for us to take our bottom of the hour break.
Yep. And uh, the world needs coalescing around some shared values. I hear a lot of talk about that, but the sharing and the coming together and the coalescing, not so much. So Bonnie, we're very delighted to have you with us. You have a lot of important things to say about humane values and human functioning within the context of one's spirituality. That's, that's a big chew and you're willing, you've been taking that one on for decades. So bless you for that. We want some more pearls of your wisdom on the other side of this break. We are Manson Mitchell. We'll take a couple of minutes, move the economy forward as best we can. And when we come back, more of Reverend Bonnie Barnard, a good friend to everybody who knows her. We are Manson Mitchell, and we'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Get inspired. Every hour, right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Reverend Bonnie Barnard. Bonnie, if people would like to get your books or connect with you online, what are some of the things that you're involved with, with that they can do that? So on my website, bonniebarnard.com, in the corner, there's a thing that says join my community or join the community or something like that. And you just put in your email address and what you'll end up doing is receiving my blog. And the blog comes out anywhere from two to four times a month. It's not, I, I'm not one of those um, people who's, who produces a blog on the same day, every single, I will get there, I promise, but I'm not one of those yet. 
And then what will happen is anytime that there's a new class out and offered, they'll get information on that. So um, there's a couple classes in the pipeline just waiting to come out on Zoom. And um, so if you put your name under join the community, you'll get all that information. Thank you. I wanted to pick up where we left off before the break. I had asked you if the the process of intentionality was more a mental process or more of an action process. And I absolutely loved your answer. And that was having to do with our culture today. And um, I'm presuming I know what you were talking about, but you can um, clarify if I'm not, that there was an intention going back all the way to Roe v. Wade to overturn that. And it took decades of people's intentionality to have what happened this year. Now, while there's a bunch of people who are just insanely crazy over what happened, I'm, I'm asking about that process of intentionality because I'm wondering to go in another direction, what, where is the starting point and what would that take? Okay, so let me give two examples, and I hope that I can remember them in my mind, because like I said, I'm going through this thing that's really interesting with my mind. So um, so the history of Roe v. Wade is interesting. The history of abortion is interesting, and it's interesting because the whole reason abortion became legal is because women were dying by trying to self-abort, doing self-abortions. So women were dying and Ronald Reagan was actually one of the first governors in the state of California to make abortion legal. And um, he did so as many did because they did not want um, the women to keep dying. Like it was inhumane to have this happen. So state by state, they started one at a time allowing abortion to take place. So then um, it became the law of the land, if you will, with Roe v. Wade. And years later, the Republican Party was noticing that they needed more voters. And at that time, fundamental Christians didn't vote. And so they put together a coalition and a plan to get, they actually had meetings to say what would get fundamental Christians voting. They're not a part of our, our electorate at this point, electorate at this point, they're not out there voting. And so they started the story that abortion was baby killing. So it was an intentional story. It started as a thing with the women dying. It started with everyone in agreement that there was no baby that according to science, there were clusters of cells that existed and that life did not happen until life could happen outside of the womb. So there was a basic agreement. There were a few in the minority that just didn't like the idea of it, but basically Republicans and Democrats alike voted um, um, and supported this whole movement of abortion until it became a way to win elections. So. Um, I find it 
disheartening that many of us don't understand the history behind um, what's happened and that it really is a political movement, not necessarily um, not necessarily driven by science and um, what's best for people who are currently alive. So, um, so there's a whole bunch of stuff there. Then you asked about coalescing for good. Right. And I had the privilege of meeting this dignitary, important person years ago, who I took the opportunity to say to him, who was the most impressive person you've ever met in your life? Because he was around celebrities and um, politicians and traveled the world. And I said, who's the most impressive person you ever met? And he said, John Denver. And I said, why John Denver? And he said, he has done more good for our planet than any of us know because he did it in secret. And apparently he would have meetings with Buckminster Fuller, with politicians, with celebrities, with others. They would get together once a month in a hotel and they would ask really big questions. Like one of their questions is, what are some of the little things that we could do that would change our environment for the better because he was a real environmentalist. So what are the few things we could do? And one of the things they came up with is it was that secret group, that hidden group that um, came up with the concept that you don't have to have your towels and your sheets washed every day at a hotel. And the, the hundreds and millions of gallons of water that is saved every year by making that one switch is tremendous. And they came up with that in their behind the door scenes conversation. They had an intention. They wanted the environment to be better. How could they do that? They also came up with the concept that you didn't have to use those little plastic bottles of shampoo, shampoo and soap in the rooms because plastic is an issue. And so for a long time and still in some hotels, they'll have bottles, bit large bottles that are shared in the showers um, versus having small individual ones. And so the behind the scenes gathering where they came up with intentions that we are now living with um, that have been good for our environment is very powerful. It's funny that you, the, the example that you gave was the sheets, because I know when um, Gary and I have stayed more than one night in a particular hotel, my preference has been for people not to be entering the room. We have our stuff spread out everywhere and we're oftentimes bringing, you know, iPads and telephones and yep. you know, all kinds of stuff that we don't want anybody in the room when we're not there. Right. And, and so we'll generally put up a do not disturb sign as we walk out the door and, you know, hope nobody goes in. But I was very much in favor of not having a daily sheet change because I just wanted the privacy. If I was going to be yeah. in a hotel for two nights or three nights, we didn't need a sheet change. You yeah. know, and, and if you need new towels, all I do is call, but I also found the rooms were stocked with enough towels. Exactly. So, you know, there exactly. were plenty there. Yeah. And, and imagine that, I mean, 
Before that, they were changing the sheets every day. They were washing the towels every day. There was a lot of labor and a lot of soap and a lot of environmental impact. And that one idea has really helped our environment. And so, um, so we know this. We know that our gifts and talents can be used for good or can be used for evil. And the Marianne Williamson used to say that those of us who are intending to live on the side of love need to be as fierce as those in a foxhole. And um, she used to say that over and over and over again. And that just stays with me as to the value of the two or more consciousness and and community, the spiritual community is where a lot of this can happen if it doesn't get caught up in politics and the pettiness. The idea of the, um, the power of collective consciousness, we've, we've seen it definitely going in one direction. The, the power of the collective consciousness uh, for example, about, um, you know, don't touch my guns. Uh, it's, yeah. a, it's a right. We have a right to own guns. Now, what has happened in the United States is so unbelievably ridiculous. Yeah. They, they were uh, saying when um, Shinzo Abe was assassinated, that in the year 2021, there was exactly one person killed with a gun. And I, I just said, I, I can't believe that. That doesn't make any sense to me. I can't which even. Which country is that? In Japan. Oh, so like, in Japan. I couldn't wrap country. my mind around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Japan, in 2021, yeah. it was reported on the television, they had one death from a gunshot wound. Yeah. One. And, and, and I'm saying, what is happening here? It passed up ridiculous a long time ago. Yes, it did. And yes, so did. I, I'm, I'm saying, you know, with all the things that are going on, that's, that's just, you know, one issue. Where do people begin? You know, you, you were talking about the, the having the brain cells in the heart. Where can I start in my heart yeah. to begin to contemplate um, the kind of life where people don't have to be afraid to go to the church, the synagogue, the grocery store, the movie theater, right. or any crowded place. That's right. What, you know, how, how does, where do you, where do you start with that? I want to give people tools because I feel like they're, we're at a bit of a crossroads. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, in many ways, we're going in a really bad direction here. Yeah. And so at this crossroads, what can we do if our intentions are more positive? And if we're more positive, and when we, we want to envision a future for our children, that is better? What, what can, yeah. where do you start? Yeah, those are really, really, really good questions, for sure. 
So this is where I double down on the spiritual practices. And in meditation, I ask what is mine to do and what isn't mine to do? Because we can get so caught up on the external that we lose ourselves internally. And, um, and I had a boss once who was so brilliant because she said that she chose one organization to give to and one organization to volunteer with. And for her, it was literacy because she had this belief that those who knew how to read would learn and therefore become educated and therefore be a better citizen. So, and, and become free and be able to make more money and all the stuff that comes along with literacy. So she, that participated in that part, that was her giving, that was her enrichment. That was where she played. And so one of the, one of the questions to ask your higher self when you're in meditation is what is mine to do? And it, and my experience is getting answers from the divine often takes time and it can be immediate, but for me, it may take months. And so part of my practice is to lasso myself in and not take action until I know it's mine to do. So it's not about doing something just to do something, but it is about getting really clear on what is mine to do and, and where it, where am I to contribute my energy? The other thing is that the Bible will tell us that we pray for our enemies. And it really means that because the enemies are in our heads, the enemies are in our mind, the enemy is in our perception. And so we don't become free and we don't have peace until we enter the realm of oneness. And so that means that when I pray for myself and I pray for my health and I pray for my wealth and I pay, pray for my right work and I pray for the people I love, I say in my prayers and, um, and may this prayer be also given on behalf of and list my enemies in my mind. Because if we are truly one, then I want to want for the other as much as I want for myself until I come to a point where I realize, and I'm not there yet, but till I come to a point where I realize there is no other, there's only capital S self. So when, when Donald Trump was in office, every single day I prayed for him. And I prayed that everything I wanted, everything I loved, everything that was right for me, that he have it too. And um, because I did not want to be a part of the energy field of division. And we are becoming so divided. And, um, and there is the temptation to say that, and I'm going to use Democrat versus Republican in this comment. There is an intention or there is the propensity to say, well, Democrats take the high road and the Republicans play dirty. That's one of the kind of talking points. And, um, and I think what we're really talking about are levels of consciousness. And so what's interesting with levels of consciousness is 
all higher levels of consciousness are awake and aware to the lower levels of consciousness because they've been there before. So the lower levels of consciousness can't rise to the higher level of consciousness because they haven't been there yet. So there's this natural mix match that happens. And so in my own way, one of the reasons that I am a minister and that I want to participate in spiritual community is that I want to have a place for the unconsciousness to come and to learn and to grow and to practice and have the opportunity to have transformation. And that's where I'm called to play. And in my own self, I, I must pray for my enemies because I'm changing in my mind what enemy is. I have uh, neighbors on two sides of me. And on one side, I adore them. And on the other side, I don't. And in, in my way, what, because I, I struggle with loving my enemies, and I have to consciously, for myself, point out the good in the neighbor that I have a problem with. Yeah. You know, well, look yeah. how she keeps her house so nicely. Look how yep. she's exercising and going out to the pool. Look how she's involved and engaged in life. And, and, and I, I name for myself yeah. the things that are good about her because I know in my interactions, she's been mean and crabby and, yep. and uh, sarcastic and rude. And, and so it's hard for me to want to engage with her verbally because it's attack, attack, attack all the time. Yep. But when I see her, I, I, I have to say to myself, you know, she's, she's an old lady, but you know, she's still going strong. She's still doing yeah. well. She's planting flowers. She's fixing up her place. I have to count all the, all the good yeah. things to try and counterbalance the negative energy that I have yeah. about her. Yeah. And there are times when I look at her from a distance and yeah. I just really love her. It, it, yeah. It's hard to do that up close. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when she's being nasty and sarcastic, but I, I'm doing what I can do. And, and that is, I can love her from a distance and, and hopefully that energy field will get closer and closer to where she is. Yeah. And I moved because I didn't like my neighbors. I mean, <laughs> I had, I had new neighbors move in with a ton of kids in a little teeny small house. And these kids used to crawl over my wall and I had a swimming pool in my backyard and they were little kids and I was afraid they would drown. And they just, they were, they moved in and the house next door that was one of the most beautiful houses in the neighborhood became the, the Munster, the Munster yeah. mansion overnight. And, um, and I refuse to not love them. I think I said hate and I didn't mean to, but I, I um, refuse to not love them, but I also knew it was time for me to move. And so this felt like yet another cosmic kick in the butt to say, yeah. you were supposed to move, Bonnie. And now I brought you neighbors to prove, get out. And I was like, okay, I got it. 
And I knew the longer I stayed there, the more the Munster mansion would expand and the less my house would have value and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, God, I get it. You've been guiding me for years to move. And I just have seen it, talked about it and haven't done it. And so, you know, they were thrilled when I decided to move because they had a young family. They had friends who were a young family with a bunch of little kids who wanted to buy the house and have the swimming pool. And so it ended up being a win, 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 win all the way around. Um, But, um, you know, that stuff happens. You know, and it's it's you're talking about two very different ways to go in the very same situation, people in close proximity, people with personalities, relationships you have with neighbors, and you can somehow heal and resolve what is there, which, um, you know, uh, there are good days when I feel I'm really doing that. Yeah. And then there is the, the idea of um, the messages for you to go. And yes, I, I, one of the things that um, one of the mantras that uh, Gary and I have talked about this year is this idea of anything which is unlike harmony dissolves and disappears in divine order. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and Gary said, sometimes it's me that has to go away. That's right. You know, he says, it's not always the other person, but anything unlike Uh harmony dissolves and disappears in divine order. And, and so that disappearing is, you know, it could be them. It could be you who knows. That's right. That's right. That's right. And when you say disappear, it's the attitude, right? It's the perception. It's, it's, it's that right. Wow. Ronnie, it has been a ton of fun. Gary cut out early. He had a meeting to go to, and um, we're going to have you back again, as you know. Thank you. And it was a great conversation today, and I really appreciate your being here. Loved it, loved it. And would you text me or email me that affirmation? I certainly will. I love it. I certainly will. Okay, God bless your ministry. And I do want to say to anyone listening, to send you guys money to be on the air. You didn't ask me to say that, but you're worth every single penny and it is your (laughs) ministry and it is your, it is your work to offer this to the world. And so if any one of you who's listening feels inspired, um, giving is part of the spiritual practices that we do. So thank you, Bonnie. I just want to say that we got to go and join us next Friday. Bye now. Love.